This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I'm delighted to welcome Paula Davis to the show. Paula will talk about how to beat burnout at work. Paula, I could not be more excited to have you on the show today, my friend. We are going to have a juicy conversation, and I know there are literally millions of people around the world saying, bring it on, tell me, tell me. But you have a fascinating story, and if you would be so kind, I'd love you to bring us back and help us understand the genesis of what changed in your career and why you started to focus more intentionally about living well and not burning out. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me having me on. Um, this is definitely a, a hot topic right now to be talking about for folks. And so uh, I practiced law for seven years. So this is the question that I'm asked most frequently by people. So if you were a lawyer, how did you come to do this? And so the very short answer is that I burned out during what became the last year of my law practice. And I didn't know what it was. I mean, I knew there was a word called burnout, but I didn't I, I didn't understand how it had happened. And it took me a long time to recognize what was going on. Um, It got really bad for a little while. Uh, I had to figure out what I wanted my next steps to be. Did I want to stay in the legal profession? Did I want to do something else? And so I decided to do something else and happened to find um, the Master's in Applied Positive Psychology program at the University of Pennsylvania. And my undergrad is in psychology. When, when I finished my undergrad, there was no such thing as a formed science of positive psychology. And so I got really excited about seeing how this could be kind of the entry point for me to start to learn about the science around well-being and stress, um, all in an effort to help educate not only individuals, but really um, the workplace organizations around Uh, what is burnout, what causes it, and how can we create different cultures and do different things so folks don't have to experience it? Well, I'm so glad you did. And congratulations. You are a recovering lawyer, right? You're on the other side of it. (laughs) And I I say that lovingly because I work with so many lawyers and it is an incredibly demanding profession. And you're not alone for for many who have taken a very conscious step in a different direction. But what what I find so compelling about your book is that you argue that we we have to shift our attention to the causes of burnout and embrace it as a systemic and holistic solution. So tell me more about that. Yeah. So really, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is we've been doing it wrong. <laughs> we've we've been talking we've been talking about burnout as though it is solely um, an individual stress management kind of self help issue. And it's not to say that we should completely stop that because there are certain aspects uh, or traits, you know, that we all have and bring to our table, bring to the table. We can up our game when it comes to our stress management strategies. There are things and tools um, that can be very powerful that we can actually learn and use in service of helping us, you know, not go in the direction of burnout. But if you, when you, when you continue to have the conversation and get beyond just the symptoms talk about burnout, where we feel exhausted and things like that, and start to look at what really causes it, you realize that the causes of burnout are things like not having enough autonomy 
at work. So not feeling like you have a choice or a say in how your day goes and the type of work that you can um, take. And are you looped in on decisions that you know matter to you and impact your work? Um, lack of colleagues support, unfairness. So are you in an environment where you don't understand like how come they got promoted and I didn't? And it seems like there's a lot of you know whispering going on and um, you know, values disconnects and, and a big one that I see is lack of recognition. So I always joke that I have yet to meet the person who says, you know, I'm being thanked too much at work and I wish they would stop. Uh, but um, it's those kind of things that drive burnout. And so when you start to talk at that level, you can see how things, you know, like general, you know, self-help kind of the, the traditional stress management remedies that we try to offer aren't going to solve those types of demands. So we have to be talking in a different way at a different level from that perspective. I have to tell you, my colleagues and I uh, who produced the podcast were particularly interested in one of the bullet points in your media kit. You said you can't yoga or retreat your way out of burnout. And boy, did that resonate with all of us. And at first we chuckled, but we thought, you know, she's right because we have these Band-Aid solutions that, you know, are not bad for mm-hmm. our overall well-being. But what you mentioned is so much more holistic and systemic, and it really changed my definition of burnout. Yes. And and not only that, but so, so workers are very savvy, and particularly the younger generations coming into the workforce see and really prioritize and emphasize the need for positive culture. And they recognize very, very quickly that there are, you know, workplace culture issues and these types of demands that are really driving a lot of stress in the workplace. And so I found that, um, you know, a lot of them will tell me, you know, don't just give me the same type of, you know, traditional self-help kind of remedies because I fully am aware that it's it's more than just me um, contributing to this problem and they're spot on. So how has this been exacerbated as we're all navigating through a global pandemic? You know, in a couple of weeks, it's going to be a year that many people are, are working remotely. Uh, and frankly, the world of work has changed in front of our eyes in this year. Huge. And I, I think one of the biggest things that has been driving, I think, a lot of what we're seeing in terms of burnout is just people are just simply exhausted, right? So one of the main sort of dimensions of burnout is chronic physical and emotional exhaustion. And I think that's been sort of amplified and and taken to the 10th degree uh, in, in this pandemic because we're all just sort of ready to kind of get back to the way we thought life was or the way the way we want to kind of envision life, life being going forward. Um, and to just day in and day out not not have that sense is really hard. It's very hard for us psychologically. And you know, I, I just started um, a group coaching uh program with uh, some some professionals who I'm working with. And the other thing that they all mentioned is that they just can't wait to see other people, like to, to mm-hmm. get back into their work environment and to be with their teams and to walk down the hall to a meeting with somebody and just chit chat. And so I, I think, you know, not only the exhaustion, but it's this, this lack of, you know, just physical contact and support, um, you know, from, from the outside world and from the people who are just used to being around has been really hard. 
I agree. Zoom just doesn't cut it. However wonderful it is, right? It's incredibly efficient. So I'm not knocking Zoom, but the connection um, and and frankly, the isolation that a lot of people are feeling is really debilitating. Yeah. And I I, was funny. I was just uh, having this conversation with with some people. And I mentioned that a handful of months ago, I participated in my first like virtual you know, wine and cheese event or what have you. And it was so weird because uh, I was sitting in my office and I'm just sipping, sipping my glass of wine. And, you know, we're trying, we're doing the best that we can to, to sort of, you know, create these virtual environments and have some fun and try to, you know, hang out and be together. And it's, it's better than nothing, but it, it certainly is not the same as, you know, physically being with people. It is. We're doing our best. Yes. But we're all eager for that for that safe space. So speaking of safe space, you write beautifully about psychological safety and why this is so critical. Can you help the the global audience understand what psychological safety is and, and how we can go about creating that environment? It is one of my favorite concepts to talk about and really is a foundational element to my model of you know, sort of building that resilient, positive, um, thriving culture that we need to start to build and pursue um, within the workplace. And really, very simply, psychological safety is trust at the team level. So it is all about how do you cultivate um, a group or a team that trusts each other and has that sense of belonging, right? It opens the door to us feeling like I can raise my hand. I can, you know, say this partially formed idea that I have and just kind of blurt it out and people won't find me silly or weird. You know, I can respectfully disagree. I can push back. I can say, you know, oops, I think I, I messed something up on this project and I need to say something to somebody about it. It opens the door to us feeling like we can show up to work as ourselves. I can't tell you how many people I talked to and myself included back when I was a lawyer who essentially kind of leave themselves in the car when they get to work back during you know our, our physical workspace days um, and go to work as some other version of themselves, kind of leaving some of their best characteristics behind. So it really builds that sense of belonging as well. And what's so fascinating about it is that it is just really little sort of what I call you matter cues that make all of the difference when it comes to building this environment. So um, you can make or break trust and psychological safety in five or 10 minute increments, depending on how you interact with people. And so it's really these um, these small interpersonal micro moments that go a long way to building it. And it's things like just acknowledging when somebody has entered your space, um, when somebody patches onto a Zoom saying, hey, Joe, it's really great to see you. You know, how are you doing today? How are the kids? Or, you know, just acknowledging that somebody's in your space, um, limiting side conversations and, and gossip. And so I know we've all been in those moments where we walk into a room, especially if we're new, and we notice a couple people whispering and we know they're not talking about us, but now we feel like it's, you know, sixth grade again, and I'm trying to find somewhere to sit for lunch and I feel weird. Um, so in it is, you know, giving everybody a say, um, making sure that you're seeking out contributions and opinions from from everybody on the team. So you're not just hearing from the same person or you're not especially just hearing from the leader. Right. Um, so it's this combination of really small um, behaviors done very consistently over time um, that really make the difference. Oh, I love that. Love, love, love. We're going to talk about that more. We'll be right back after a quick break. 
Your Working Life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So I, I was thrilled, Paula, when you talked about these micro uh, segments, how you can insert acknowledgement and positivity and, and that connected feeling. And, and that's something that anyone can do. You need not be the leader of the team to be able to demonstrate that behavior for, to build psychological safety. Is, do you think that's accurate? I think that's definitely accurate. I would say that that leaders absolutely sort of, you know, carry the weight of modeling the, the behaviors that that build psychological safety. And I think it's oftentimes characterized as very much a leader type um, trait, but there's a lot of things that individuals can do as well. And so I wanted to make sure that I added that into the book so that everybody feels like there's something that they can do to develop this culture. It's not just, you know, sitting and waiting for your leader to do something or not do something. So I find it interesting. You mentioned, and it absolutely resonates with me, you know, when we get back to the work environment in the safe space. And I've heard so many companies are flipping their model and they're letting go of precious overhead real estate because they realize the return on investment is better for their workforce to be at home. So I believe even post-pandemic, we're going to see a lot of hybrid work environments where maybe you're in the office a couple of days a week, but the majority you're, you're at home. So the question, how, how does one foster connection on a team while working remotely? Because the connection is, is part of our overall wellness. It's so important and it's really hard. So this is an area where I'm not going to pretend that this is going to be easy for people to do. So I think we've discovered that already. I think as we were just talking about, um, you know, we're discovering how, you know, we can take some of these approaches, but they're not the same as replicating true, you know, in-person um, types of connection. But there are definitely some things that um, teams can do, virtual teams can do to stay to stay connected. And I think that one of the most important things that they can do is just to talk about and remember, like, why are you all there? You know, why are we doing what we're doing? What, why, why does this project matter within the organization? Um, how, is, how are we servicing our clients or our patients or other people who we are tasked to help, our internal business clients? How is what we're doing kind of getting us to a better place, either as a team or within the organization? Um, And that's really powerful because when we're geographically diverse and we're all over the place, it's so easy to think about and remember the differences that our team has, but really coming together um, and understanding the collective goal and how everyone is contributing toward it is the common thread that's the common glue that everybody, that that the team has. And so, so really talking about that is important. Um, and I think also, too, just being open about the challenges that that teams that your team is facing right now, um, the way that we were working and what team the challenges teams had a year ago are very, very different from what teams are experiencing right now. And so don't assume that your team is handling something the same way that it did before or that they're OK. Um, you know, as as we continue to progress, making sure um, that you're you're simply talking about um, the challenges becomes really important. 
And then the other thing that you can do to keep your virtual teams really feeling connected is to celebrate small wins, mm. celebrate small successes. So I think one of the big ahas that I had when I was writing the book is how small these like micro interactions, these small wins, these small behaviors and you matter cues, all of these small things really add up and matter when it comes to us talking about creating the type of positive culture we want that's going to be the opposite of burnout. So remembering those things is important. Can you give me an example of a, a, a you matter cue? I, I love that that phrase. Sure. So it can be very simply, it could be, um, as I mentioned before, like just acknowledging somebody has, you know, entered your space. It can be um, acknowledging when somebody has joined, you know, a Zoom call or what have you. It's calling people by names. It's offering a smile. It's saying thank you. Um, it's, It's those types of things that really send a signal to somebody that you matter, that you belong, that you, you know, we, we want you here and we've got your back. Got it. Got it. You also write about resilience and what an important role it plays in building strong teams and, and of course, managing potential burnout. So tell me more about that. Resilience is one of my favorite concepts. This is, you know, back when I, I told you I found the, the Master in Applied Positive Psychology program at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, I went there really not knowing what I was going to find in terms of solutions and strategies to help people and teams and organizations deal with all of this. And as soon as we started to talk about this concept, it's just been something that I haven't been able to let go in terms of, you know, interest of study. But it's really how we navigate challenge and setback and failure and stress and when things go wrong. So it's, it's how we navigate it, but then it's also how we adapt. How do we pivot? How do we then grow from the challenges that we're experiencing? And the science of resilience has largely been uh, written about and studied and talked about uh, from the individual perspective. So we know that individuals can do a lot. It's it's a skill set that can be practiced and learned and improved um, in terms of building our own resilience. But there's just such great research talking about, you know, resilience at the team level, which is, you know, a lot about what my book is about. And then um, also organizationally, you know, how organizations can pivot and adapt to the challenges that they face going forward. So it's this lovely um, systemic methodology in a, in a sense that um, that I love because the challenges and obstacles and, and setbacks are always going to be there. Hopefully not as big as what we're going through right now, but they're always going to be there. You write so beautifully with real world stories from your experiences that uh, give us a glimpse into organizations that are doing really positive things in this space. And I'll mention just a few, but ask you to maybe give us an example. So you write about the Mayo Clinic and the U.S. Army and the German company Trivago uh, and how they're really making great strides in preventing or addressing burnout. Give us a little glimpse. What's an example or maybe one of your favorites that you were interested in? Wow. Uh, so I, I have to I have to go to to the Army program first and foremost, because I actually had a chance to be part of teaching within that program. So really, honestly, seeing very much how um, culture change essentially unfolded within a very strict hierarchical you know, type of organization and to see how, you know, training drill sergeants and soldiers um, in the skills associated with resilience 
um, really made a complete difference in a lot of their lives. I, I heard so many stories from the soldiers who said, you know, for example, this course inspired me to reach out to my sister. We haven't talked in five years. And, you know, one in particular, one soldier shared with us, um, you know, I took our day off here from the course and I took the train from Philadelphia up to New York City. She didn't know I was coming. I knocked on the door and she burst into tears and gave me a hug. Um, so, so just talking very specifically and hearing soldier stories about how, you know, these skills were helping them mend relationships, how they were helping them become better leaders. Um, you know, one of one of the training team uh, is a, a retired sergeant first class who's become a dear friend of mine, and and he, you know, talks about the powerful moment he had when he realized, like he's he was leading his troops. Um, out of fear, right? Based on fear. Like he was screaming at them and telling them what to do and he got short-term compliance, but he started to realize like they didn't trust him. They didn't really like him all that much. And that when you go into battle or you go into something more serious, you have to have that trust and you have to have people who are willing to, to do whatever it takes. And so it was a profound moment for him to realize that you know, I need to shift my leadership style to be more one of respect versus one of fear. So that was a powerful moment for him oh and for me. I've internalized that. Yes. Oh, I got chills just hearing you say that. Paula, what a joy to have you on the show. I learned so much from you today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and expertise. I want to tell our, our listening audience about your book. It's called Beating Burnout at Work, Why Teams Hold the Secret to Well-Being and Resilience. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers, but your website is called BeatBurnoutNow.com. Paula, thank you, and I wish you continued success on this book journey. I am so grateful for you. Thank you so much, Caroline. I really enjoyed our conversation. This was fantastic. Thank you. You take good care. Thank you. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps new people find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.